This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hey everyone, welcome to Z Prime On the Grid ETS recap. My name is Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host Aaron Hardick. At least for this segment, how you doing, Aaron? I'm feeling very relieved, Dylan. Um, I mean, I feel like we accomplished a lot over the past two weeks, but as with anyone, I think whenever you get over a big hump like that, you just kind of feel like you're ready to wind down because you've been focusing so much on the upcoming event. Um, I'm kind of on that downhill slope now. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe the technical term for that is that it's Miller time. <laughs> but uh yeah so I, well i'm I in the rockies so i have to drink coors light that's true cold <laughs> the coldest beer in the world as they say um get those blue mountains going so it certainly was different but it you know it is it was still there was still a lot of work to put together um with a you know with the efforts of a lot of different people um but uh so from your perspective as sort of a ho- as a host and active participant and and also moderator um what 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 was sort of different what was also sort of the same well i'll start with what i think was the same and that was the quality of the content and the quality of the speakers we had a great lineup a diverse lineup both in terms of actual like people diversity but also diversity in the positions that these people held within utilities outside of utilities cities technology providers so we had a lot of different perspectives here which i think we've had in previous years and then the content was just top notch i don't think that we sacrificed any content from not being able to be together in person, a lot of great ideas and solutions were thrown around. Now it's just time to actually take some action as Arlen Orchard called us to action in his opening keynote, which I thought was really important. It's time to just stop having conversations, but to make some moves. Uh, And in terms of what was different, I mean, you just lack a certain com- like you lack camaraderie when you're not in the same room with your fellow panelists. So it's not as, I don't want to say it's not as fun, but there is that sense of, you know, being with each other, being able to, you know, kind of like feel the energy of the group and how the conversation is going. That definitely lacks in a, a virtual environment. And then the same is true with the audience or kind of lack of having an audience right in front of you. You don't feel the energy of the audience. It's hard to gauge if they're responding to what you're saying, if they're not, if it's kind of resonating with them. It's really hard to tell if the audience is staying engaged in a virtual environment. I mean, we have the Q&A where people can submit comments and questions for the panelists, but it's just not the same, again, as physically being in the same room with a group of people. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, It definitely made moderating feel a little different. It actually honestly made it feel more like one of these podcast recordings um, where we're, you know, where we're sort of taking things a a little bit slower, playing less off each other and more just sort of uh, processing, processing the the content responding to it, which is, you know, which is its own sort of, which is its own sort of format. So even though the content quality didn't, di- didn't dip at all, the sort of, I guess the is redundant, but the format was def- the format definitely felt different um, in terms of that, that energy we're talking about. And it, which is interesting because it's not like we at ETS, we, you know, we have like applause lines or thing or people, you know, hooting and hollering in, in, in the crowd. Um, but there, you're, you're that, yeah, that sort of immediate response of feeling the energy in the room definitely isn't there. I, another thing, I, another thing I noticed is that, you know, in regards to sort of evaluating, tr- evaluating trends, evaluating the networking aspect, because we, we did do virtual networking and people were receptive to our content, but you're, you're, you know, you're hearing less. You're not, you're not catching those 
cocktail reception conversations where people are like, where people are like, whoa, are you hearing what they said about cybersecurity on X panel? Well, yeah, our company, well, and our, our company responded to that by doing this. And then like, there's a little bit, there's a little bit less of that, which is unfortunately lost in the virtual format. Um, but I, I am still interested to hear what you think about what was learned from energy at this conference. Yeah, actually, to go back to that point before I get into what was learned, I had a, a panelist tell me that she missed being able to just, you know, walk by people in the hallway and catch up with folks that she hadn't seen in a long time or being at those networking receptions where you can just kind of pop around to different conversations and kind of stick an ear in and see if you're interested in what they're talking about. If not, kind of move on to the next group of people. So it definitely was a bummer that we couldn't have networking to that extent. But Dylan, you actually did a really good job of facilitating a lot of the networking happy hours and keeping people engaged and entertained. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I tried, I tried my best. We did some trivia. We did, we did a scavenger hunt today. Uh, that, that was fun. I got to got to learn a lot about some of the some of our attendees. Uh, you know, it wasn't jam packed, but we had some we had some regulars in there. So uh, shout out to shout out to Kumar and to Pratik and to Kevin who uh, who showed up every day and Becca and <laughs> Becca and Sarah too. Nice job on the networking, guys. Um, but to move on to what was learned at the event, it's hard to distill it down to just a few thoughts. But for the sake of brevity, I will try to do that for today. Um, I would kind of break it into two different facets, one around culture and community, and then the other around actual technology and digital transformation. In terms of culture, there's a lot of talk about trust and transparency within utility organizations while they're trying to undergo transformational projects, whether that's specifically related to a new technology or even if it's just a process change that's more than likely been brought on by COVID. How do you make sure that employees feel like they can trust their higher ups, trust their bosses, trust each other um, with this level of data, or it's almost like you have more insight into what that person is doing because everything is remote and you need to kind of know where everyone is, what they're doing in order to keep the business running day to day. And trust is very important. Uh, in doing that. And same with transparency. So being transparent about why you're maybe changing processes, why you're implementing new technology, giving your employees really a peek behind the curtain, because I think utilities have traditionally kind of been, I don't want to say secretive, but knowledge has been concentrated within certain parts of utilities and kind of breaking down those silos and being transparent with the whole organization is uh, very critical to any type of change that's going on. Another one related to culture is diversity. So we had a great panel on diversity that was led by Aaron Otan. And one of the panelists said that diversity reduces risk. So diversity contributes to better ideation because you have different perspectives on how to solve problems. And that results in more inclusive solutions, which is really important for utilities as they start to compete for customers or at least try to manage and keep up with changing customer expectations that are influenced by our incredibly digital world. I mean, Amazon is provides the you know top-notch customer experience. And if somebody has a great customer experience with Amazon, then they're going to have those same type of expectations with really any type of company that they interact with. So making sure that your solutions are inclusive and can cater to a wide variety of expectations and particularities of customers is really important. And diversity can do that for you. 
Well, I, I know you're about to talk about technology, but I and I guess this sort of segues into it because we were sort of talking about because there was also talking about system, you know, how that there can be systems in place that uh, where diversity just like helps you find, you know, find options and or find solutions that you just like maybe wouldn't have have earlier. And that was like there that you combine that sort of thing, uh, what you're talking about with diversity, along with a lot of the the way that we framed the climate discussions, uh, there was a common refrain at ETS that I was noticing that was basically like, doing the right thing is good for business. Um, mm -hmm. That framing, that framing, ha I think permeated a, a lot of the a lot of the different talks about not just about diversity in the workplace, not just about addressing climate change, but also about um, the customer journey, about things like transportation, that too, that sort of thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I'm sorry, you were saying about technology? Yeah, to get into technology, um, a few of the key, key things, key points that were touched on a few times, one being transportation, decarbonizing transportation as a big part of cleaning up our cities and utilities have a very big role in uh, electrifying transportation, but not only electrifying transportation, we've heard, we heard from a few people that hydrogen fuel cell technology will also be a big part of uh, decarbonizing transportation. So it's not Electrification maybe isn't the solution for all types of transportation. Hydrogen fuel cell is going to play a role there, too. One thing that kind of walks the line between culture and technology, which was also referenced by a few different panels, is this idea of applying the agile methodology to utilities. And that is really taking a faster approach to innovation. So test, fail fast, pivot, test again. And it's taking kind of these shorter innovation cycles as opposed to the longer ones that utilities have traditionally stuck to because of this need to really, really prove uh, the ability of a technology before implementing it. And we had we heard a lot of discussions to challenge utilities to take some of these shorter innovation cycles because we can't just stay on this kind of long-term approach to innovation, which was touched on in our last panel, Electrify Everything, because of the immediacy, how immediate the need to uh, decarbonize is. So the agile methodology uh, is really important and another key takeaway from ETS. And then the last one I'll touch on came from the regulator panel, which was that utilities and regulators should recognize that investments in new technologies like artificial intelligence or cloud or even drones really can be beneficial in the long run. But to get there, there needs to be extensive grid modernization roadmaps. So it's not about just saying, okay, we know that long-term these technologies can provide benefit. We'll just kind of see how it goes. There needs to be very specific plans on how to adopt these technologies. And it's going to require a lot of work and a lot of details, but it's going to be very important to get those technologies implemented to meet decarbonization goals, especially when it comes to like the distribution grid, leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to get more DERs in the mix there. So those are pretty much all my key takeaways. I guess the, the last thing I wanted to talk about in regards to, tr in regards to trends is um, maybe this is just, maybe this is just me because I was, uh, because I guess you were too living through a bit of a bit of a smokestorm while the event was going on. I felt like this ETS had a lot more overt climate change talk than than any than any of the other ones. Like it was it, it was it wasn't you know it wasn't being talked in in hypotheticals. It was being talked about as as an active problem because it is an active problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm 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 wondering if you coming out of uh, the the increased 
presence it had at the event if you feel uh, more excited more excited about where the the about how the industry is tackling it within the role not the full role that it has but within the role that it has to address it like more excited uh, in line with what you were hoping for or less excited I would say I'm excited but I would also say I'm concerned that utilities may feel so much pressure that they kind of like stand still and you know like when you when you feel a lot of pressure you're just like ah I don't even I don't know what to do like I don't know what to do first so I'm excited because I think it's very apparent that utilities are taking this seriously and they know it's really important. I mean, you mentioned it, like we're at the point where you can't really deny this is happening. We're seeing it. The West Coast has been in in flames for like the past, what feels like three weeks now. So you can't ignore it. And I don't think utilities are ignoring it. I think my concern lies with their ability to take more steps. I won't say the first step because I do think a lot of utilities have taken the first step, but continuing along that journey and again, at a faster pace than they have been doing. I think that's a, I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, I've, I definitely noticed that the way it's, it's talked about, I mean, there's a lot of, I don't want to generalize because a lot of, there are a lot of activists, a lot of utilities, a lot of, uh, technology makers that all have you know their own their own parts to play and their own ways of framing things but i did but i have noticed that um the conversation even though it's a lot better still has like some catching up to do just in mm-hmm. regards to when actual deadlines are when you know how you know what needs to be a, what actually has an effect and what needs to be changed by when to avoid x degree of temperatures going up and i, I and i think I think, like you said, I think that once the mechanism is in place to process all of that, then I think you'll, yeah, you'll probably see a lot, a lot more, uh, a lot more stuff like what happened during the conference when Gavin Newsom signed the, the thing making it so California won't sell ICE vehicles by 2035. Yeah, actually, this just came to me, so we can cut it if you feel like the idea doesn't have merit. But I agree with you that the conversation has changed, and I think that changing the conversation, the the change of the conversation and the way that it's happened and talking about climate change being very apparent and immediate also allows utilities to talk about sustainability strategies in a more valuable way. Like it's easier for utilities to position a project around sustainability as having like a a tangible value as opposed to this, like, I like, um, I'm struggling for the words, but by saying that climate change is here and immediate, it makes it easier for utilities to say, well, we want to, work on these sustainability strategies because it addresses this immediate problem. Yes. I think that's, you're, you're, you're right. The, the arrival of the, I shouldn't say the arrival because there's been like climate change has been a part of natural disasters for, for, you know, longer than just the last two years, but it's been never been more pronounced than it has right now. Um, but I, I, yeah, you're right in that, that urgency not only allows them to demonstrate to their uh, residents that, like, hey, we if we can, you know, if we take these steps, then we can may- maybe reduce the severity of these fires or these hurricanes that keep ruining your lives every year. Um, but also to the you know the powers that be that hold the purse strings, mm-hmm. it's expensive to clean up to clean up these disasters all the time. So being yeah. more so being more ready and having more sustainable energy that limits the de- that limits the the devastation not only you know not only is is what we go back what we went back to the the refrain that people kept saying that doing the right thing is can actually be good for business too and I think people mm-hmm. are starting to realize that uh, another conversation that has changed in that context the doing the right 
thing is good for business is this one that was talked a lot around equity. And while utilities have always served, you know, marginalized communities and have had certain plans for serving those populations, it's now become a one of the first thoughts has now become one of the first parts of the plan as opposed to something that was tacked on at the end. And that conversation has changed drastically, which I do attribute to the last five or six months in the Black Lives Matter movement and just general social retreat, Black and people of color. But it has made an impact on how utilities view their role in the community and view their role in serving these communities, these marginalized communities, and what they can do to break those barriers of um, like systemic oppression and the way that our communities and cities are built and how they serve those communities is now something that they're really thinking about and trying to address. Yeah, that is that is an that is a, a, a an interesting and good side effect of politics sort of seeping its way into absolutely everything into absolutely everything these days. Although one could argue that it's always been that it's always been there, but we're just starting to notice it for the first time. But um, is that yeah, we've got a lot. We've got a lot of people, especially in the younger generations that are coming into that are coming into the energy workforce that are thinking a lot more about how systems in place are you know continue to disadvantage groups certain groups of people and how, what can be done from within those systems to change them so that they benefit so that they benefit everybody and you're right the the equity con- the equity conversation you know used to be it used to be like a pa- one panel of, se- of of several we did but now it's uh subtext or outright text in in a, in a lot of the conversations you heard, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that, that's a lot. That's a lot to a lot to chew on. But uh, I'm gonna let you go. Go, Aaron. Get your get your post ETS weekend started. Um, Aaron, thanks for all the work you put into ETS, uh, especially your really cool mountain climb on the GoPro. Um, but also, <laughs> of course, the actual. Uh, of course, all, all the all the the leadership you shown the past two weeks. So yeah, thanks for that. And thanks for uh, being on the show. Thanks Dylan. Yeah. I have to give a shout out to Sarah Frigio and Chris Holt, our behind the scenes team, make it very easy for the people who do, who you do see on the screens, myself included, and I couldn't, you know, do it without them. So a big shout out to them. And thank you, Dylan. I had a great time. Now, uh, we're actually going to take a break here because we got more folks talking about what went into ETS after this. Uh, we're back. I'm here with Z Prime's program and events manager and pretty much the, the brains behind ETS 20, Sarah Fugeau. Sarah. How are you doing? I'm great, Dylan. Thank you so much for that intro. I'm a little tired since uh, we're wrapping up ETS. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, we're recording this on the last day. Uh, so, how, uh, how how do you feel it went? How do you feel it's for the, the the all but the last couple of hours have gone? I think that overall, uh, ETS twenty has ETS twenty virtual, excuse me, has been a huge success. Um, I feel like. Now that we've had to switch into the virtual space, we've done, I mean, I think we've exceeded the expectations we set for ourselves to start. So, and we've delivered on such great content and amazing thought leaders. So I think that we've kept up with the ETS name as best as we could, especially now that we've switched to virtual. So we've had awesome sessions, panels, uh, fireside chats and group video networking. And it's just been a great two weeks. Yeah, how did we sort of approach creating an ETS format that felt like ETS but suited the online platform? Yeah, that was the biggest struggle is to figure out. I mean, I'm sure you yourself and have seen other virtual events, and a lot of times they look like webinars still. You know, you still just kind of feel like you're attending just a panel and you see a bunch of people on Zoom or Microsoft Office and, um, excuse me, Microsoft Teams. And I think 
the way ETS has set, it up, set itself up in the past is that we're just, we have this really creative brand and we do a lot of creative entertainment. So we really wanted to make sure that the attendees still felt like they were going to an event. So the main idea was to make sure that there was a platform that hosted all of our research and content, um, would be able to stream videos with uh, top-notch AV, but also include extra added pieces such as group video networking, um, entertainment videos, one-on-one um, -on -one networking, because that's a huge factor that we're missing with physical events nowadays. Is that's 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 what we miss. We miss that interaction now that we're you know still semi in lockdown. So being able to create a personal experience with the attendee was definitely top on the list. And then next with with it paired with it was um, our media, making sure that our media still looked like it was a high end event. Yeah, I, I guess that sort of answers. That, that next question, so I'll just skip to three. So what can we sort of expect out of Z Prime virtual events for, for as long as we're going to continue to do them? I think that we'll continue to see networking play a large role. We want to make sure that attendees feel like they're getting that personal experience um, in, in the FaceTime with thought leaders and um, different demo booths and each other in itself as well. Uh, so we'll continue to see networking. We'll continue to push the limits with what we can do with AV. So a lot of our branding will start to really show through because when we make themes for events, you know, that's something that you need to make sure shows through all your signage and, and you know, um, your stage at your physical event. So now we're tasked with, all right, well, how can we make this stand out? How can we make sure that the theme stays 100% on the virtual events. So we're really working to make sure that our marketing is aligned with our, our virtual platform and it, and it stays a story the entire time. So we'll start to see more advanced marketing and more advanced AV. Um, also, I think that we'll start to see, we'll definitely continue to do the video um, networking, but I think we'll start to see even gamification. Uh, VR is a huge portion of Z Prime and media. So I think that gamification and including more VR, maybe demo spaces, that will start to play a larger role as well, because um, I think those spaces really create a little bit of camaraderie when we're, we have meetups that, in VR. So I think we'll start to see a little bit more creativity as far as as uh, that media goes. Yeah, what um, what are so, what are some of the opportunities that a virtual event provides that maybe we wouldn't normally have been able to do in the physical spaces we like to that we've done in the past? Absolutely. Uh, great question. I think that that's something that we were considering during ETS, especially. We were realistic when we made this two weeks. We um, obviously were testing out the virtual space to start with, but our idea going into this with doing a two week or a six day event, I should say, was that there's a flexibility with people's time. So that's something that's big about virtual than physical. When you're going to a physical event that's four days, you know, you might have to be in and out because you have to make a phone call, you have to take a meeting. Um, it is great to be there in person and see every session or every session that you can, but it's also very flexible for you to have a stream of a session up and maybe if you need to mute it, you need to take a phone call or you can continue to do emails. You can be at the stream, I guess, all six days and it can be a little more flexible for your schedule. So virtual offers that at your own time, at your own comfort of your own home, um, that flexibility. So I think that, I mean, I've attended more events, I think, in this past six months than I have any time I did it, any physical events. And I feel like I've gotten similar experience if I'm taking away what I need to take away from content. Um, so I think that that's a perk for virtual events is that it's super flexible with your schedule and you can build your own event, build your own schedule, and you can still technically watch at your own pace, even if you have other work to do. And what's really great is most events such as ETS as well, are going to have um, videos that will be recorded and sent out to the audience after the event anyway. So anything you missed, you get to catch up on. That's a good point. Um, so what are some lessons you learned from how everything turned out that you'll take into our future events? Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of lessons. I mean, every event, there should be a lesson. You're, and I think any job, there should be a lesson. If you're doing everything perfectly and nothing's going wrong, maybe you should ask yourself different questions um, or look for other comments. So that's something that we definitely take take to heart is feedback. But um, I think that personally, I'm my own worst critic, but I do think that just, um, 
I'd like to see more gamification, like I mentioned. I'd like to see more VR. I think there was just some untapped potential there. Um, but, and I think that maybe just some of the processes. I don't think I would do a six-day event again. It, it is a little intense for everyone, even with a flexible schedule. Um, I do think that maybe timing is something that we would reconsider. But um, I do think that with each virtual event that we do, we're continuing to learn and taking more takeaways. Because, And I think there was also a trend that we noticed. Um, you'll notice that certain time frames, obviously everyone's on different times when they come to virtual events. That's kind of the, the, the greatness about it is you can be in any time zone and we're all together. But also making sure to be conscious of, I mean, if you have a, a 9 a.m. session central time, you're catching people on the West Coast uh, a lot earlier, obviously, two hours, if not more sometimes. I mean, we had, like, for example, Lorraine Akiva on a session this morning. Uh, this, I think it was, it was supposed to go live at 11 a.m. Central Time, and she was tuned into the Zoom on her time at 5.30 a.m. So I think there, um, when it comes down to making sure scheduling is uh, set up properly for specific thought leaders and also being conscious of our attendees as well. So I'd say small lessons, but lots of potential to keep things you know, fresh and new and entertaining for the attendee to make sure they want to keep coming back. That's, I think that's also a key for all of virtual events is, you know, how do you keep that attendee engaged? How do you keep them coming back? So that's something that um, I think we'll continue to push the key on is, um, you know, how do we, how do we keep this momentum going and how do we keep it exciting? Because that's, that's hard to do. That's it, it is hard to do, but uh, it's it's good to it's good to hear that you, you you've uh, taken some some of the successes and some of the limitations uh, that have been revealed on board, and that that hopefully that's going to make for uh, even better content in the future. Uh, do you have anyone uh, you want to shout out that's really made things work behind the scenes? Oh my gosh, yes, Chris Holt has been my like right hand. Um, I came to him with this vision. Uh, after we did Solar Storage Fest, he worked uh, completely behind the scenes with me on that as well. And um, we had talked about, you know, this is the AV that we see in other virtual events. You know, where I, should I you know, talk to other AV companies? And I really just think that Chris Holt tapped into something and really got excited. And he learned how to do streaming, um, how to create overlays and branding and, and, and scenes, all these things that you can incorporate in order to make AV happen. And he just took it, taught himself and ran with it. And he has been 100% successful. Um, I'm sure he would tell you all the little things that came up that didn't go right. But I will tell you, as someone who's seen the stream the entire time, I, I can't tell. You, you really can't tell. There might be a name here and there we need to switch, but it happens 10 seconds later and we switch it out. And he's been, honest to God, just an awesome team player and um, really pushes himself to keep learning. So he's been an inspiration to work with because he really keeps you excited. So if we don't have an answer, he's like, let's figure it out. Um, and I think we're having coworkers like that, that really just want to um, be better and do better all the time, really inspire you to really enjoy your job that much more. So Chris Holt has been amazing and the true executor of this event, um, as well as Ricky Murray. He's always been a sounding board and just, pushing us along and helping us wherever we need. So the whole team behind the scenes, even Rafa and Mia, they've done so much for us just to even support Chris Holt and everything he needs to do. So it's really been a, um, an amazing well-oiled machine. I could name everyone, but I guess <laughs> Chris Holt would be number one. <laughs> well, we love, we love Chris um, and we love, you know, everyone else who's been a, been a big part of this. Well, Sarah, thanks for, thanks for being on. Thanks for uh, being, putting together ETS along with your along with your crack team. So yeah, we really appreciate the work you put in and thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks so much, Dylan, for having me on. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for all the help that you've given during ETS. Oh, I wasn't fishing, but thank you. <laughs> we are back. Uh, I am here now with external engagement manager at Centerpoint Energy and a founder of Evolve Houston and a recent uh, panelist on my, on a panel I did at ETS 20 called Where's the Green Funding Decarbonization Initiatives. It's Michael Conklin. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you, Dylan. It's great to be here. So, uh, Michael, th uh, you were on our panel 
where's the green funding decarbonization initiatives? Uh, how did how did you enjoy that experience? Uh, just from the side of being a panelist. Yeah. So actually, I really liked that uh, that panel. Uh, I liked the topic. Where's the green? I thought that we explored uh, what to me are really important questions. So, you know, there's, you know, on the one hand, there's the challenging this perception that green projects aren't profitable, uh, which many of them are. And then the other side of the question is, you know, what about the ones that are a challenge to show, you know, the profitability or where the benefit is relative to the cost? For those ones, how do you get there? And what I appreciated most about the panel was that there was so much emphasis on stakeholder engagement and pulling parties together behind a common vision, because I think that's so important for how you get these kinds of projects done. The ones that are easy, that's not a problem, but you know, we are taking on significant challenges you know, on a global scale. And when we're trying to have a larger impact, we're going to be more effective when we're working together with the right people. I thought that theme came out really well in that panel. And frankly, I was delighted to see that. So how was, uh, how was sort of the vibe or to use a less corny word, the experience uh, different this year with the virtual format uh, from, from your perspective? Well, I got to say that, uh, you know, on the one hand, there's, you know, there's something always lost when you're not face to face, especially networking in between sessions. Uh, when we were in session, when we were in panels and when we were uh, talking with each other, I thought it felt pretty natural. Um, you know, I could see everybody, they could see me. So while it wasn't the same, it was remarkably effective and it was uh, it was a lot better than I would have imagined. I, I, I think that uh, the pandemic overall has gotten us all to be more comfortable with uh, interacting virtually. And so I, I, in many ways, I think we were primed for it, but you know, when I think back on that panel, I, I don't even think that I would say, "Oh, yeah, it was a virtual panel." It just it felt like a panel. Yeah. What what, what makes for, what makes for good what makes for good virtual event content uh, at this time? Well, I think what makes for good virtual event content is the same thing that makes for good physical event content, and that's uh, preparation beforehand, making sure that the panelists are comfortable with each other and have some coordination on talking points. Having a good moderator is key. And then when all of those elements come together and it's a good vibe and everybody's riffing off of each other's points, that's, that's what makes any good panel, uh, virtual or physical. You know, I've also been saying that that's what makes for um, a good podcast too, which is why, why um, I, I said in one of these earlier segments that, that uh, Moderating this panel felt more like moderating one of uh, moderating a podcast than moderating one of the uh, previous live ETS panels is because you yeah. know there there's less of a you know there's less of an there's less of a shared energy and also less of an audience feedback not you know not that people are not mm. that the audiences are like it's not like a rally but you you, you get what right. I'm saying there. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe all of life feels a little bit more like a podcast these days. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> That's so true because um, you know instead of yeah, this is something I've been doing recently with uh, now that football's back is that you know instead of going out to the bar with my friends and uh, talking about that, we're you know talking over Discord the next day about all of our all of our hot takes. Yeah, and it feels like we're you know we're running some low rent sports <laughs> podcast or something all right well michael thank you for uh debriefing uh appreciate your appreciate your time happy to do it anytime let me know
We're back, and I'm here with Z Prime CEO Jason Rodriguez. Jason, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dylan. Good morning. Yeah, we're we're day we're day after ETS here. Um, just uh, getting trying to get things back to back to normal at the office, the at the virtual office. Uh, how how'd the event go in your, in your mind, Jason? I think it went fantastic. Being it's our first full virtual event across two weeks, so many different things. If you think about it, can go wrong, and uh, it was exciting. There was a lot of fun, and just the conversation was was timely. And I don't know if we've ever, if anyone's had that group of different leaders and perspectives to talk about at the times of our day. So it was, it was really good and lots of fun. There were some really fun elements added in there that I think really made it unique. Yeah. Uh, so what was sort of, what, what was sort of different about our presentation this year, other than the fact that it obviously it was online, like what, what was, <laughs> how did that change? How did that aspect change the, the flavor of the event? So to, so to speak. Yeah, I think it forced us, I mean, obviously being virtual, it forced us out of our comfort zones, but it also allowed us to show off some, uh, and really bring to light some talents that that folks have and and bring their their own unique personal experiences and and, and things they really enjoy into that into the mix and also forced us outside the comfort zone to put a little drama in there and in, in, in the, the use of video and pre-recorded video and and some of the ad-libbing that that our team got to be a part of so that that was exciting and whether it was Chris Moyer, you know, taking 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 us into his world there in Michigan, uh, whether it was you and, and kind of really really having some fun with, with trivia and some of the networking stuff, or or Aaron Hardick on her on a mountain bike ride, or or doing some creative stuff with video and storytelling that that Mark and team do. So all those things were, were definitely different, and they were a little bit more purposeful, but we were able to have fun with them and and share that with uh, with the attendees. Yeah, um, you know, one thing I've heard a lot from um, the people, uh, the the Z Prime people I, I've talked to, is yeah that the, definitely that the team that the team stepped up and showcased uh, talents that not necess we don't necessarily see as often in the in the live shows in the live shows, which is uh, which has been really cool. Um, how so? When we were thinking about moving, you know, when we we postponed e ETS once the pandemic start news start sort of started to trickle in and then when it became clear and clear that we were either going to have to cancel or go f fully virtual um what was sort of the decision making process for you at at that point when when you know when it was becoming clear that hard decisions were going to have to be made in regards to the planning of this event mm -hmm. well yeah it happened in a, a vacuum right in the end of february we as you learned of the first case, the first cases being put out. And then when that first death happened, I think at that point, I, I personally realized like, hey, there's no way we're going to be able to do the first one back in in, uh, in March when we had it, had it had to do it. So at that point it was, it was like, okay, we're gonna move it. You're thinking, okay, it's gonna be a few months. And, and as long as the, the venues and, and speakers, so you knew there was gonna be a lot of uh, moving parts shuffling uh but didn't really i think the impact of what was going to be i don't think anyone was was prepared for it so that was probably the hardest decision of just saying okay you know are, are people going to be flexible enough to move their schedules and at that time you're thinking you're still going to do it in person maybe in june or july-ish when we had, had thought about doing it and um and so that was the first decision now when the second decision came out to to move it again this out to to what it is now i think that was a little bit more comfortable at that point you started realizing that everyone was was being very flexible and that they still wanted to be a part of ets and it was never in our opinion it was never a from my view it was never about not doing it we felt we need to have the conversation just because there were so many stories that aligned and tied to the impacts of the pandemic on energy and then it became okay who you know how do we do it is it one week, two weeks? You know, we settled on two weeks. And, and thankfully, a lot of the major speakers that we had lined up, you know, agreed to be a part of ETS. There was a handful just from scheduling that that couldn't. Uh, so that was 
that was exciting. And just to hear, you know, just ha hear their, their outlook on where we go from here was, 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 was very encouraging. So after that, you know, we started to think about figuring out how to put together the agenda, the agenda and everything like that. But so how did we, what was sort of the planning aspect from a uh, attendee experience perspective? Mm -hmm. What was, what had to be taken into consideration? The, the biggest thing was just screen time. I, in our opinion is how, you know, how are you going to ask people to sit in front of their computer as a normal, a normal in physical event, you're, you're, you know, you're at the event all day. You've got people, whether they're in their hotel or not, you have them, they're isolated and you can expect some sort of engagement from them, whether they're coming to one session or they're coming to a networking time, and, but they're there, they're, they're physically there at your event. Here, the biggest thing was, hey, they're, they're in their homes or, or, or I guess in their office in some special cases and, and they're busy. So how do you, how do you engage them and keep them locked in enough to really want to di absorb the content, but still not not wear them out for session after session after session, uh, along with everything else being virtual. So a lot of it was coming up with making content engaging, spread out the day, and and we had a lot of great conversations to be had. And that's why we decided to put it two weeks. And if you really bring this to, if you just narrow it down the session time, it was probably no more than two and two and a half hours of content time per day. And I think that was a key decision uh, that, that, that we made to make sure that attendees can do not get overwhelmed or not, not feel like, hey, they're, they're missing something. They can have the flexibility to come back and, and, and tune in to, to what they want. For, fe for future virtual events, both planned and potentially un currently unplanned, ID what are some ideas that maybe you, you think you'd like to try out or lessons that you'd want to transfer over? That's mm -hmm. probably a better way of asking it. Yeah, so I think the, one of the key lessons I think that, that we've taken away is find really, really personal and unique ways to to engage the audience outside of the current content. Take take them away, even whether it's for five minutes from from what they do. And and we three, there there's several topics there. There's some really cool stories you, you could tell in between there, and whether you're releasing it to attendees or through social media, you still you still give them a part of that that experience and, and take them out of that that element. So we want to do more of that, whether it's the trivia, the mountain biking, the, the cool runs, the yoga, creative stories, really taking advantage of that format. But I think the second one going out there is we want to find more unique ways for the audience to to actually be uh, aligned with it. I think we, we, we did do some of that, but let's, let's, let's kind of open up some more doors. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the confines of the event platform. I think that's what we've learned is that you don't have to confine people to that to be engaged with your event and, and taking advantage of that in our next, uh, just going forward will, will be key. And I, and I feel confident that our teams, uh, teams agile and creative enough that we'll do that. Uh, but, but in terms of like, if, if you're looking at just from the ETS perspective at four, four in that, in that vein, it's going to be probably climate change is going to be key. That's probably going to be a key conversation next year, where it was heavy electrification this year in terms of if you had to talk about it in, in, in technology terms, I think the, the buzzword, not the buzzword, the issue of our time is going to be what, what e electrification was this year. That's going to, that, that, that conversation becomes climate change next year. I, I, I talked about this a little bit, um, with with Aaron earlier in in this episode, um, but yeah, def definitely definitely um, climate change even this year was sort of more more prominent yeah. than, it, than it ever has been. I think part of it is that you know during the event there were massive there were massive fires all over the West Coast, and uh, I don't remember if the hurricane hit right before the first week or during the first week, but that also happened. And also mm -hmm. the, the Gavin Newsom uh, order for California to uh, not stop selling internal combustion engine vehicles by 2035. So like the, I guess just the, the news and the environment um, made it impossible not to talk about it. And so uh, I, I definitely thought it was interesting how, how much of a larger role it played this year than in previous years. Um, so, sort yeah. of with that in, so sort of with that in mind, um, 
my last question for you is what uh, what you feel came out of came out of this conference in regards to pulse of, you know pulse of the industry trends that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three trends, and I talked about a little bit yesterday, but the the key one is just the inclusion of social justice, social equity are our, our, our foundational pillars and, and, and the industry is talking about them in that context and it probably never has. And just that realization that you really don't get climate change. You can't address climate change if you don't address uh, social inequities and social justice uh, equality. Like that has to be, a, it's, it's, a, it's just as much a part of the equation as trying to solve some of the, whether it's re- reducing costs of battery storage or getting more distributed energy generation that is, uh, that will only be a result. The success of that is only a result if we address the first part. And it was very encouraging to hear, at least at least for the ETS crowd, that the folks get it. Now it's turning, it's like Arlen said, now we got to turn these into action. I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways of the event. Now let's, let's go, how do we figure out how to make this happen? Number two, we just talked about electrification. It's here, we're in the middle of a rapid transformation of, of that transportation industry, and and let's go from there. Every conversation has some some discussion about EVs, one one way or the other, and their impact. And and then the, and then the conversation about uh, the technology and how that changes the workforce, how that changes the customer experience, and how that seeps into kind of the first the, the other two the other two areas because it, it gives that technology empowers empowers employers and empowers uh, the users to have a bigger voice and, and express what they want from their communities and their infrastructure providers going forward those three well jason thank you for the thank you for those insights um thank you for being on the show and thank you for putting together a really awesome ets oh man sure thing yeah team effort thanks for all the partners out there and already looking forward to start thinking about ETS 21, whenever, whenever and wherever that might be.